Welcome to our Wednesday Bible study on the book of Ephesians. In this video, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, which, by the way, if you printed out uh, this from the Bible project that we kind of started with and all, you'll notice that we are still in this first section right here, the first section that deals with the gospel story. And we're kind of laying this foundation, and that's, that's what we're looking at, what Paul is saying. We've seen that in the first chapter, he's talking about how Jesus Christ brought unity to all things in heaven and on earth. We saw in the previous chapter what that looks like among humanity. And now we're going to be kind of continuing that thought into Ephesians 3 and sort of seeing uh, really what, what Paul is going to mention here in this chapter as a mystery. So, you know, if you like mysteries, uh, maybe you would really like this, although I'll just kind of tell you right now, this type of mystery uh, would have been kind of interesting, I guess, to me, um, kind of intriguing a little bit, but also maybe kind of a little difficult, really. And let's take a look at what this mystery is, because here's a secret about this mystery. It's no longer a mystery anymore. We have it specifically laid out here in Ephesians 3, what this mystery is all about. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So let's start in verse 1 and work our way through this chapter. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, let's start here. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand by insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs according, I'm sorry, heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's kind of work our way through all this, which by the way, depending on how your Bible sets it apart, you might notice that, uh, that Paul is, I guess in some ways, similar to many of us. He starts off in verse one about this one thing, and then all the way from verses two through like verse 13, so pretty much this slide and then also the next slide, uh, what we're gonna see is he goes into great details about something. It's kind of, he's chasing a rabbit, if you wanna use that language, because then in verse 14, he goes back to, well, for this reason, and then he continues on with his thought. So all of these verses from verses two through 13, he's going on to this side thing. What's this side thing? The side thing, the side thought, is about how Paul is um, this this prisoner for the sake of those people who are Gentiles. Then he goes into, okay, well, now that I'm talking about Gentiles, let me go into details about those Gentiles. That's what this mystery deals with, is Gentiles. Now, as I've stated several times, and I, I, I'm sure that I stated this last week, I probably even stated it the week before this, but this is something that can be easily just overlooked for us because to us uh, let's face it almost like all of us who are christians uh pretty well everybody who's going to be watching this video uh we're a gentile and that's just a fancy way of saying we're not an israelite you know we're not jewish uh you know if you are jewish and and uh you know watching this video you might take some of this a little bit differently um but yet most of us we're gentiles that's just kind of that's where we've come from so to us this might not be as big of a big deal as what it really would have been during Paul's day. Keep in mind, Paul, he was a Jew. 
and so many of the early uh, Christians were Jews. Keep in mind, Jesus himself was a Jew. So, you know, all of this uh, that we call Christianity, it sprang out of Judaism. Now, here's the really cool thing, though. This gets into this mystery that's being described. By the way, the term mystery, if you look at it here, if you're following along, in verse 3, he's talking about this mystery. In verse 4, he also talks about the mystery of Christ. And then in verse 6, he once again is saying mystery. And I might have even overlooked one even in this passage. He's going to continue on talking about mystery and using that term mystery several other times. So, if you're following with me along, you might be wondering, okay, so what is this mystery? What? What is at the heart of it? Well, going back to verse 3, he actually says that this mystery was made known to me by revelation. Okay, well, that, that's kind of interesting because we see that at least Paul knew what this mystery was. It had been revealed to him. A little bit of a side note, I guess, if you want me to, uh, if you will allow me to chase a little bit of a rabbit just for a moment. Uh, this term in revelation um, and then also in verse 5, whenever it says that it's now been revealed and then in verse uh, four, whenever, sorry, whenever it says in verse three, made known to me by revelation. Uh, those are related terms to the book of Revelation. You know, the book of Revelation, um, that's what we call it. And this is kind of related to that. Now, you know, most of the time, whenever we think about revelation, you know, we think about all these visions and symbols and every, everything and, and all this symbolism. But yet the idea of revelation, it comes in and it's used in, you know, not just kind of um, the very sci-fi-like imagery. I don't know if that's the best term, but I think you understand what I mean by that. Uh, all the, the dragons and, and everything that you read about in Revelation. Um, yes, sometimes Revelation appears like that. Sometimes Revelation appears like this. It's just kind of a very simple type of term that's being used. And the important thing to understand is it's something that's revealed. Um, that's why it's kind of interesting to me that that many times Christians have such a problem with the book of Revelation today because technically the whole thing about Revelation was it was supposed to reveal things to us. So why has it been hidden from us? Um, I think by study, we can learn more and more about it. But okay, that's me chasing a rabbit. Let's go back to Paul's rabbit and the one that he's chasing. And that is this mystery. This mystery that he calls it a mystery in verse 3, but he says it's now been made known to me by Revelation. So we know Paul knows what this mystery is about. That's great. But it goes beyond that. In verse 4, he still is talking about this again. He's, he's actually talking um, about being able to understand his insight into this mystery. So at this point, you know, if you're reading this, you might be thinking, oh, I wish I could understand this type of revelation that Paul got and, and what this mystery is all about. And then he actually tells it to us. You know, he, he reveals it to us as well within it. Um, so he speaks about it once again in verse 5. He says, as it has now been revealed... By the Spirit. So there was a point in time whenever this great mystery that he's talking about in these first uh, six verses of this, this chapter, this mystery, he says in verse 5, that it was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So it was a mystery, it was hidden, but now it has been revealed. Okay, so what's this big mystery? I've already read it. It's in verse 6. Verse 6, he literally says, this mystery is. That's a definition. Okay, what's this mystery? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heir together with Israel. And he goes on even into more details about what that means. You know, he says members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So all of this is about together. But it's the combination of it's not just about Israel. It's about the Gentiles as well. 
So it's not just one nation, the nation of Israel. It's about all these other nations and how they can become one, how they can all be put together. I guess in many ways, this is still going back to the theme and that verse from Ephesians 1.10, that uh, what's stated there, especially that phrase that is given um, what Christ came here for and what he's going to do is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Um, that's kind of what God has been doing, and that's what he does through Jesus Christ is to bring unity to all things. This is still part of that, is uniting not just the nation of Israel, but all these other nations together and creating this family out of them. It was something that was hidden at some point and people didn't get it. You know, most of the time when you read the Old Testament, they don't really understand where the Gentiles are going to be brought in and how they're going to become one family or anything like that. Or they might not even understand exactly that, uh, that promise that we looked at uh, about how through Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. They might have had somewhat of an idea of how that was going to work out, but for the most part, it was still a mystery. But it's a mystery that has now been revealed to us. It's been revealed to us right here and we see that it is through this gospel, through the gospel that we believe in, through the gospel that we put our hope in, that's where we see that the Gentiles can be brought in. The Gentiles can also be heirs together with Israel. Now, to us, we can easily overlook that fact, but I would encourage you strongly to spend time and, and just appreciating what this really means and how this really would have turned kind of their world upside down and their thinking upside down. To us, we get it, okay? We're Gentiles, so we're heirs with the, the Jews, okay? Great. But this would have been such a huge thing during their time. And I hope that we can just kind of take time and, and recognize uh, how great of a thing it is, you know, because what would the world look like um, if Gentiles weren't brought in through the gospel? It would be a very different world in which we live. So as Paul continues on, he's going to keep talking about this mystery, though. Verses 7 through 13 of Ephesians 3 now. Paul continues, and he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past, past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And with that, he kind of ends his, his little rabbit trail. This rabbit trail about, okay, he spoke about the Gentiles. Oh, yeah, that reminds me um, about this mystery, this mystery about how the Gentiles can be brought in. Well, when you understand that Paul, he was the apostle that was sent to the Gentiles then you can kind of understand, okay, why is he talking so much about the Gentiles? He's talking about them because that's the ones that he's ministering to him. That's the group that he was sent out to. This is kind of a crazy thing about the wisdom of God is because God takes this highly Jewish man, very educated in the Jewish ways. I mean, he was like a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was this, this really well-educated person who knew all these things about the Jewish culture. And then God says to him, you know what? I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. So every bit of this foundation that you've been laying, he, he's going to really humble Paul by sending him among the Gentiles. 
And he is the apostle that gets sent to the Gentiles. And whenever he does that, he starts to understand this mystery. It's revealed to him. You know, we, we see that it, it was something that was uh, that was very important. It was this mystery, as verse 9, um, it has been hidden in God. Uh, God decided to hide this mystery. But now notice why uh, God's going to reveal it, or kind of rather, I guess, how God's revealing it. In verse 10, we find out that his intent was that now, through the church, okay, that's how this mystery is revealed. It's revealed through the church. We get that. You know, we are quite literally living this out. We're living out this ministry, I'm sorry, this mystery uh, in, in all the ministry that we're engaged in. And in the fact that we can come together as the nation of Israel or whatever other nation you just happen to come from, under Christ, through Christ, we are living out this mystery. So that was God's intention, that it was going to be made known through the church. And specifically going back to verse 10, he says, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, this is getting kind of interesting because this is something that Paul is going to mention several times in his writings, uh, especially he mentioned several times in the book of Ephesians. And in this book of Ephesians, one of the things he says is, this is part of the wisdom of God. This is part of the plan of God, is that at this time, at the time in which they live, and I would say that continues over into our time as well, we see that through the church, this mystery is revealed. Through the church, we see how the Gentiles can be brought in uh, into this, this gospel message. Yes, it was hidden at some point, but now it's revealed. Who is it revealed to? Well, actually, the group of people um, that, that is mentioned here in verse 10, it doesn't seem to be people at all. Uh, it actually says that it's going to be made known to the rulers and authorities, okay, which we think, okay, so that's like you know kings and princes and stuff that we have here on earth. But keep in mind that this language is oftentimes used not just about the physical kings and all. In fact, many times the way that Paul uses it, it's not talking about earthly powers at all, especially whenever he says that it's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, there's kind of this amazing um, thing that uh, I don't know that uh, now is the best time to go into great detail about this, but there seems to be some type of a hierarchy among the, the heavenly realm. You know, we typically would call them kind of the angels and demons. You know, we oftentimes recognize, okay, there's angels. They're the good guys. We see that there's demons. Okay, they're the bad guys. And that's usually about as far as we kind of take it. Well, there's actually a, a lot more different ranks within that. You know, as far as the, the good guys, you know, we might get kind of Gabriel and we might we might think about Gabriel and, and Michael being kind of, you know, these archangels. So they're kind of above other angels. So we sort of get a little bit of a hierarchy. And of course, all the good ones are under Christ. We get that. And then in the bad side, we might think, okay, well, all the demons have to, uh, you know, be under the, the leadership of, of Satan. Okay, so we might kind of get a little bit of, of a hierarchy there. Um, but we actually get glimpses throughout the Bible that these uh, these spiritual beings in the heavenly realms, um, they are oftentimes called rulers. They are called authorities, you know. Um, we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament and stuff. So apparently this is something that Paul is, is bringing out and he's saying, Look, what we are living out is we are living proof of this mystery. And we are showing not just humans, although I think we do show humans this, uh, this mystery being revealed during our times. But we also are showing the heavenly realms, you know, the, the spiritual beings, um, you know, both 
I guess in many ways you'd look at it, we're showing both the good ones and the bad ones, uh, what God has always been doing in our midst. You know, we even have some passages about uh, angels long to look into such things, don't we? You know, Peter uh, writes about that. Uh, but here we see that Paul is writing about how it was part of God's intent uh, that through the church these things would be revealed, through us. We are actually going to be active agents. We, we currently are active agents in revealing this mystery uh, to these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And we see that, of course, that all this comes down to uh, what Jesus Christ has done in verse 11, uh, talking about, once again, that he's accomplished all these things in Christ, who is our Lord. Then we also find out in verse 12, a great thing to keep things, uh, everything in a perspective, at least. In verse 12, we see that in him, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I mean, that, that's great. And I think sometimes we can kind of overlook that great fact as well, that it is in Christ and it is also through our faith in Christ that we may approach God. That's one thing that I love about the book of Hebrews. I know we're not talking about the book of Hebrews, but I love the book of Hebrews on how it just keeps showing that, um, yes, these things were great. You know, the, 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 uh, the old covenant, that was great. Uh, the Moses, um, he was a great leader. Uh, Melchizedek, all, you know, all these things were, were great. But Christ is better. You know, uh, everything that Christ has, has brought to us, it is better. And here we see the same types of things too. That it's in Christ, it's in our faith in Christ, that we are able to approach God. We live in a wonderful time. And I hope that you can recognize that. Um, yes, I understand it's, it's got its trying times. And yes, I understand that there is still sin in the world. And I understand all of these things. And um, yes, depending on what part of the world you're looking at, it can look pretty grim. However, keep in mind that we can still approach God in Christ and through faith in Christ. Christ has done so much for us. He has helped us out. Um, and it's not like we have to be born in a certain you know, area of the world or whatever. No, this, this mystery is being made known, being revealed through the church. It includes all of us as the nations. This is part of the plan of God. This is what God has always wanted, and he brings it through Jesus Christ. Now that we've kind of chased that rabbit that Paul chases, and even chased you know, a rabbit of my own uh, among all that, now let's go back to this thought, okay? So Paul, I'm actually going to read verse 1 again so that we can kind of get uh, these, these things that are supposed to be connected. Verse 1, uh, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Then he goes off into the Gentiles and, and uh, that whole mystery there. Now we're going back to his statement about how he says, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now let's pick up in verse 14. Verses 14 through 19 now. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may... Uh, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Let's pause here. We got two more verses in this, this chapter, I know, but right here... This is great because all of this is, you know, he's he's been talking about this mystery and now he's just kind of 
he, he's going to talk about this love of Christ and what God accomplishes through this love of Christ. And it, in essence, what he's getting at at this point is that no matter what your, your thought about the love of Christ is, you know, the love of Christ goes beyond it. I mean, it's just so much more than what we could uh, even think about, than what we can imagine. That's going to be language that uh, we're going to get to, but sorry, getting ahead of myself. Backing up to what is stated here in verses 14 through 19, we see something that he mentions right here in verse, thir uh, verse, sorry, verse 15. Yeah, I'll get it right in a moment. In verse 15, he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It derives its name from our heavenly father. Now, I mean, this is kind of an amazing thought whenever we, we take a step back and recognize this. Because there does seem to be an, an amazing story that we oftentimes don't focus too much on. Because, you know, for us, we oftentimes speak about it and, and think about it from the human perspective. Let's face it, we're humans, okay? I get that. In fact, that's what much of the Bible is concerned about. However, in telling us this story about humanity and, and where we've come from and where we're going to be headed, um, in telling us that story, there's also another story that's going on. There's this story that it's not just about um, us being you know, Christians and being saints and sons of God uh, here on this earth, but there's also this story that is going side by side along the, the story of humans. And that's the story of these spiritual beings that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, they're, they're mentioned in the New Testament as well. And we see that there seems to be this struggle as well that the spiritual beings have undergone, but we also see that they are still part of God's family as well. It also appears that at one point in the future, there's going to be this, this unity among uh, not just God's earthly family, us as humans, but also God's spiritual family. And that we're all going to be one family. We're all going to be united. And there's going to be a time whenever these spiritual beings and the human beings will all be part of this family of God. And all, and all this is part of this plan of God that, that he's been working on for literally thousands of years. So every family that's in heaven and on earth and derives its name from our heavenly father. Like everything comes from our heavenly father. That is such a wonderful thought to really, to really think about and to understand what that means. That, you know, all of our families can be united. Going back to Ephesians 1, uh, Christ came to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This, this is what Christ was doing right here. And we see that... Uh, that Christ is going to be uh, dwelling in our hearts, as verse uh, as verse 17 says, that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, this is one of these passages, you know, I've kind of mentioned this before, that we can look at several different passages that, uh, yes, some passages speak about the Holy Spirit living in us, but we can also find out passages that speak about uh, our Heavenly Father living in us, and right here we see about Christ living in us. I mean, this is a great thing that, you know, our bodies are quite literally the temple of God. God lives within us. He dwells within us. Christ dwells within us and within our midst as well. And we see that he has accomplished all these things and allowed us to be this temple and allowed us to, to be able to be this unified family um, in, uh, uh, in heaven and on earth. Uh, he's allowed us to be this unified family through his love. And verse 18 is talking about uh, this love of Christ, and it actually says something, you know, kind of pretty cool to us, and I, I wonder how the original audience heard this, because it says, um, talking about verse 18, uh, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
uh, now what's kind of interesting is um, you know we, we might think about things in terms of, of 3d you know three dimensions uh, you, you know we, we have the whole uh, the width the length and then or the height and then the depth but like you've got four of them mentioned right here so wh where's that where's that fourth one go you know how does that work and the whole point behind it is to get us to realize that you know the love of Christ it goes beyond whatever measurement you try to use you know if you try to use length if you try to use width or, or height or depth or, or whatever the love of Christ it goes beyond that and, and that's uh, what we see here, and you know, obviously they would have taken that a little differently than you know us. I think we think in a little bit more of like how there are three dimensions and all. Uh, we we think about that a little bit more, but he goes one step farther than that and gets us to realize that you know the love of Christ is so big, uh, it, it really is, and we see that that there's something within it to be grasped that we are supposed to grasp this this love of Christ. And in verse 19, I love the language that's used. Uh, this is just one passage among many in the New Testament. It says, and to know this love, that surpasses knowledge. So when the Bible talks about knowing something that surpasses knowledge, um, how can you do that? How can you know something that surpasses your knowledge? Well, try to dive in and figure out about the love of Christ and you start to understand something that you can have knowledge of it, but yet it just it's going to surpass your knowledge. It's going to go beyond it. And then another uh, thing about this to, to kind of push us even farther in this, in verse 19, the last phrase of it, it says, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Being filled with the fullness of God. I mean, isn't that an amazing thought? We see all of these things wrapped up and we see that how those things can be accomplished and how we can be filled with all this, uh, this fullness of God and what God has, has planned for us. It all comes to us because of this love in Christ, this love through Christ. And he's done all these things for us. That's how he's allowed this mystery to be revealed to us. It's because we can do all these things through Jesus Christ, through the love that Christ has shown us and the life that he gave for us. Uh, whenever, he, whenever he came here and he lived his life and he, he died for us on the cross. And, and all of this together... In everything that Christ did, it's showing the love, it's acting out that love, and allowing us to be able to, to reveal this mystery during the time in which we live now. And we see the last two verses are going to carry this thought. You know, if, you, if you're if you thinking about trying to grasp all of this, uh, you know, at this point right here, then we see uh, even beyond that too, the last two verses. Verses 20 and 21 now. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a great way to end this chapter. And we see that in this chapter that God is able to do, and Christ is able to do, uh, not just more than what we ask, but it says immeasurably more. So think about, you know, how much more there is and then add some more, you know, immeasurably more. Than all that we ask or imagine. What's your imagination like? I mean, read in the Old Testament. See the miracles that God has done. Read in the New Testament. See the miracles that God has done. And then try to imagine something even more and beyond that. Well, God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. 
you know, sometimes we might feel a little bit ashamed about asking God something. We might think, oh, well, you know, we, we probably don't say this out loud, but we might think it ourselves and, and think, should I really be asking God to do that? You know, that's, that's a lot. That's a big thing to ask of him. Well, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I happen to believe it's okay that we ask in prayer for anything that, that, that we desire. You know, nothing is too big for God. We need to recognize how big our God is and this how big this plan that God has had uh, since the you know beginning, since before the, the creation of the world. God has had these plans. And we see that it says, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, all generations also include our generations. So we are still supposed to be praising God, blessing God, and, and glorifying his name because he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What have you asked God to do recently? And now think about this lesson. Think about this chapter. And then maybe it will adjust your prayer life in the future about what you could imagine and what you would be willing to ask God for perhaps tomorrow. Just a little something to think about. God's love is so much bigger than we can imagine. His power is so much bigger than we can imagine. But this is the God that we serve. This is the God that loves us enough that he wrote these things for us and he gave us the Bible. It's a wonderful gift. Let's make sure that we read it, spend time in it, and share it with people around us.